be a good friend and invite his neighbor Rick to church, or tend a colony of angry bees? What'll it be, Ted? I choose the bees, Carl. All righty, Ted. Precise and slow movements discourage the fear pheromone in the queen bee. So I just pull this out to inspect the bees? Bingo. You're gonna wanna avoid making direct eye contact. These little guys view that as an act of aggression. You know, once the colony begins to swarm, you know, Ted, are you sweating? I have a condition. Wish you would have disclosed this earlier. Bees interpret sweat as hostility. <laughs> They're in my pants. They're in my pants. They're in my pants. They're in my pants. Stand down. Stand down! Get in there, Betty. Stand down! Hey, Rick. You want to go to church with me? Yeah. Yeah, why don't we uh, swing by the hospital first? That'd be real nice. We're talking about these two weeks, to be or not to be. And really, that, that's a play on uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet. And if you're like me, maybe some of you love Shakespeare. And I love to read and I love history. But I got to tell you, when I was in high school, English literature, the part about Shakespeare was not my favorite. We would eat lunch. We would come to class. The teacher would turn the lights out. And some of you remember the old school film projectors? It would come on, and our heads would go down, and we would fall asleep. Yeah, nice little nap in the afternoon, so I missed a lot of Shakespeare. But this idea of uh, will we face the difficulties and challenges of life or not? Will we just live and die? And the thought is, will we follow Jesus Christ or not? Will we be the church of Jesus Christ, or will we not be the church of Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about passion today, be passionate. What does that look like? And uh, when we talk about being passionate, we're talking about that, you know, God has a better life for you than you have. God has a better life for you than you can give yourself. God has a better life for you than you can even begin to dream or imagine. He has so much more. And I really want you to say, yes, that's true in your life, because he has more than you can imagine. He said, I have come that you would have life and life to the fullest, more abundantly. So what is this great life that he has for us? And he says, you are called to represent me, and we use that term, represent me well. And the New Testament terminology, the Apostle Paul's terminology is that we are Christ ambassadors, that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ in our culture. And someone said this, we aren't human beings with a spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings with a human experience. And that's truth. I like Max Locato, the wordsmith, the pastor, the author. He said, and you've heard me say it a lot, and Vinny said it yesterday to the men, and he says, you know, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. You see, it's his desire that we become like his son, 
Jesus Christ, that we have a great life becoming like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he has planned for us. So we can live our lives, I believe, in such a way that unbelievers are going to look at your life, and at some point they're going to say, you know what? They have something I don't have. They have something that's better. They have something that's good. I wonder what they have. I wonder what that's all about. And we come back to this thing called passion. Because nothing great is ever accomplished without passion. Nothing great is ever sustained without passion. Passion is what makes the impossible possible. Passion gives you a reason to get up in the morning and go. Passion says, I'm going to do something with my life without passion. Life can become a little boring, a little dull, a little routine. How many knows what that's like? How many has been to dull, boring, and routine? We've all been there at some point in our life. But passion says, I can do away with that. See, God created you to live with passion. Passion mobilizes explorers to go where no man has gone before. Passion causes scientists to spend late nights looking for a cure for cancer. Passion is what takes a good athlete and turns him or her into a great athlete. If you're going to win the battles of life, if you're going to do something for God, you're going to need passion. Say it with me, passion, passion, passion. Back in the 1970s as a teenager, I observed this kind of passion in a different way. I saw hippies. I saw college students. Bell-bottom blue jeans, sandals, long hair. And they were Jesus freaks out in the streets, handing out tracts, talking about Jesus because they had a life change. They impacted me. They had a passion, an actual life change. Today I see a generation that they're passionate to serve the lost, to serve the broken, to serve the hurting. Right here where we live on mission trips around the world, they want to minister to the whole person, the spirit, the soul, the body. I see someone young like Tia right from here in Haiti serving God with her husband, Clinton, a passion for Jesus, passion. So what's passion? Well, we're going to see there's good passion and there's bad passion. How would you define that? Strong and barely controllable emotion. Eh, maybe not so good. Rage, anger, temper, not good. Intense sexual lust, sexual desire, probably not so good unless it's with your spouse. Here's something good. An intense desire or enthusiasm for something. Fervor, zeal, energy, zest, passion. We see when Jesus was on earth, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders accumulated 613 laws that they added to the word of God. And religious leaders tried to distinguish between major and minor laws, and some taught that all laws were equally binding. It was dangerous to make any distinction. So we look here in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, uh, 28 through 31, and, and this is a reference point as we get started today. This is our reference point this morning. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they're asking Jesus questions. And when they ask questions, 
they were really trying to trip him up and trap him and see if he would contradict himself. And they thought they had Jesus trapped. Right here in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, 29, 30, and 31. So a scribe asked Jesus, which is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answers, verse 29, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that means your life, with all your mind, your thought, understanding, with all your strength. This is now the second commandment. You shall unselfishly love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And so Jesus tells us, you know, the laws of God aren't burdensome. They're not hard to understand. They're really not difficult. You've made them burdensome, difficult, hard to understand. The laws of God, the principles of God can be reduced to two principles right here, simple principles, love God, love others, love God, serve all. If we really love him, you know, it's not that hard to understand and get a grasp of this. So he quotes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, Leviticus 19, and, and to summarize all of God's law, let them rule your thoughts, let them rule your decisions, let them rule your actions. It's been said, you can obey God without loving him, but you can't love God and not obey him. And so Jesus says, the number one thing I created you is for this, is love. You're created by God for God. I created you to love you so you could know my love intimately. Amen. Somehow we've missed that so often. Jesus wants to love on you today. Some people stay away from church. They're going to get beat up in church. Jesus wants to love on you today. What's ever happened in your life, he wants to love on you this morning. And he says, I want you to receive my love, and I want you to follow me. And if you're going to follow me, me, you not do it half-heartedly. Do it with passion. Do it like you mean it. Follow me. I want you to be all in. Let's stand together this morning. And uh, the big idea, nothing great is ever accomplished without passion. So if you don't want great, well, this isn't really for you today. You know, passion is all about that we're going to do something for God. God's going to do something through us. Nothing great is never accomplished, ever accomplished without passion. So let's take our Bibles or or your app there, and, and let's just believe God's going to speak to our hearts this morning, and um, we're going to grow in the Lord together and see God do some good things. And so let's say it together if you would. This is my Bible. This is the Word of God. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. When I read and hear the Word, faith comes to my spirit. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God, and it will change my life. I'll never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's take a closer look at this passion thing. And there's two sides to passion, a negative, a positive, a good, and a bad. And the first we're going to look at passion gone bad. What is passion gone bad look like? And hopefully we're going to learn some lessons today. And actually these are leadership lessons because God's called 
every one of us as we follow him to become a leader for him. So here's some leadership lessons. And first of all, passion gone bad. And our example today is King David's adult son, Absalom. He's our example. We see this scenario, and you can take time, look at this later, but 2 Samuel chapter 13 through 18, it's all played out here. And Absalom, the adult son of King David, first committed two crimes. I'm going to tell you, it's like you're watching an episode of CSI, a crime scene investigation, you're most wanted. And first of all, he murders his sister's rapist, and then he becomes an arsonist, and he burns General Joab's field. How many of you say, this guy's got some issues? What is up with you? What were you thinking? That's what we're seeing in Absalom. Despite his actions, see, he can't get his father's attention, and that's what he's trying to do. Daddy, look at me. Daddy, notice me. Daddy, uh, come on. Daddy, daddy, daddy. King David. He couldn't get his father's attention that he wanted so desperately. And he's past his boiling point, and, and he uses his passion to sabotage his father's leadership. He plays politics, and, and, and he convinces people to bring their needs and their concerns to him. You can talk to me. My dad's too busy. The king can't take time. I will listen. I understand. Bring all this to me. And he lobbies for support of his leadership, and finally he raises an army to rebel uh, against the king, his father David, and he had a passion to be king, passion gone bad. I'm going to be the king. And in the end, if you remember, he has a horrible death. He dies. His long hair caught in the branches of a tree with his head cut off. That's not a good way to go. This maverick leader whose passion went bad. So we look at some of these lessons that we can learn about passion gone bad. You want to jot some of these down, but back in chapter 13, verse 22 through 29, passion without perspective brings death. And we can be gun-ho and passionate, but it's going to bring death to your vision, death to your dreams, death to your plans, maybe even to yourself. Death. Death. Passion without perspective. We need the right perspective. Unhealthy passion brings damage. He becomes an arsonist. He burns the field of General Moab. Unhealthy passion. People will follow passion over truth even when it's unwise. How many's noticed that before? Even when it's unwise. Man, sometimes there's people following people today, and really, that's not quite what the Bible says. It sounds good, it's passionate, but that really isn't what the Word of God says. How many's ever surprised when you see someone, it's an outright cult, and how many people follow that cult? And you think, what is up with that? And how can they follow him? And how can they believe that it's an outright cult? But yet, aren't you amazed of how, is anybody amazed at that ever? How many people they get to follow them with their crazy beliefs and the crazy behavior. And we were joking in the office the other day, and I said this. Yes, I said this. Sometimes I would like to start a cult. 
just to see how many people you can get to follow you because I think you can get a lot of people to follow you if you start a cult. Sometimes it's challenging because in Christianity, sometimes we're giving out biblical counsel and trying to give wise counsel and help, and people reject all that. And I think, let's just start a cult, and people are going to be all in, and someday we'll pass out the Kool-Aid, and we'll have a grand old time. You know, people will follow passion over truth. So he commits treason. He divides the kingdom. And the thing here is God hates division. That's what he says in Proverbs 16, 9. This is something God hates, but God blesses unity. Psalm 133, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. And then self-centered passion always skews the judgment of a leader. Always skews our Judgment. You say, what else did he do? Well, he took his father's concubine and women in public and made a spectacle out of himself. He was shameless. Unchained and unbridled passion damages everyone, chapter 17. There will be fallout. Your actions just don't bring consequences to yourself you're going to affect somebody else's life. There's always fallout. Your choices not only affect you, but everyone around you. How many's found that out for yourself? You made some unwise choices, and you didn't only hurt yourself. There are people around you that were damaged. Fallout. There's going to be fallout. When passion outweighs wisdom, you sabotage yourself. And we see ultimately He's killed. You can study the Bible from cover to cover. I think he's in the top five of passion gone bad. He grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. Uh, He was a child of privilege in the royal palace. He grew up to become attractive. Even other men said he was good looking. I'm going to tell you about that. that. That's attractive. This guy's good looking. He's charismatic. He's powerful. And he used all of his magnetism to displace David, God's anointing, his father temporarily. And now for all the strengths of King David, for all of his heroics as a leader, he failed in this respect as a father because he never helped his son Absalom to acquire a heart for God. And before I make all of us fathers feel bad because I don't care how good a father you are, you're going to look back and say, I think I failed here. I failed a little bit there. I know what that's like. And so we're not going to beat David up mercilessly here uh, this morning, but he had some failure on his part. But Absalom made his own decisions. He became of age He listened to the wrong advisors and counselors. He turned on his father. He committed treason, misplaced passion, was all about personal gain. His lack of respect for God, his lack of respect for authority led to chaos in the kingdom. And you can't help but wonder as I look at this, if David would have shed tears for Absalom while he was in his own household instead of tears at his funeral. I'm going to say this, fathers, man, we need to pray. We need to seek God. We need to intercede. We need to cry over our sons and our daughters. And I'm going to say this. Spend some time. 
That's all it takes, a little bit of time. Spend some time with your kids. And so passion is going to help develop your leadership. How many would like to be wise? How many could use some wisdom? Yeah, we gain knowledge, but wisdom helps us apply that knowledge. And wisdom comes from the Lord. Amen? God's going to give us wisdom. He's going to give us uh, passion, helps develop our accountability, submissive, and uh, uh, that we're unselfish. And when you embrace passion, before you learn submission, trouble is always going to follow. Because many times, ma'am, I have a passion. I want to do something. I want to lead. I want to start something. I want to have this thing going on. And God calls us first to submit. Say that with me, submit. Submit to God and submit to godly leadership. There were years I was on staff, and I served a pastor. I served his anointing. I served his vision. I served him and his church. And it wasn't time for me yet to lead because I need to learn submission. It was under him, and that one day I would lead because I was ready, because I had learned submission. Say it with me again, submit. I want to say this again. When you embrace passion before you learn submission, trouble always follow. So let's look at positive passion. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, do with all your heart is unto the Lord, not unto men. The Apostle Paul says also in Romans 12.11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Keep the fires going in your life. I'm going to tell you, this whole thing, uh, it's a shame that there's been this thought out there that the Christian life is a boring life. It should never, ever be equated with boredom and Christianity. Fervor, zeal, intensity, passion. Does that sound boring to you? Come on. This isn't a boring life. I'm going to tell you, that's why he encourages us. He's called us to a life of passion, a life of zeal, a, a, a life of fervor, because life will suck the life out of you. Come on. Now, how many's ever been passionate on Sunday, and it doesn't take too very long as your Monday gets going, it gets, starts getting sucked out of you. Somewhere during the week, life is going to suck the life out of you, and we're going to need some passion. It's not automatic. It's a choice that we make. Passion is something you choose and we can maintain because we're not by nature passionate for God. It's another reason we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us will help keep us passionate for Jesus. Now let's look at the New Testament. Here's a man of great passion. I, I could have picked the, 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 uh, and chosen the Apostle Paul. But, but I wanted to go something, someone maybe we don't look at quite so often. John the Baptizer. This guy was radical. He was passionate. If he was here today, you would say, what is up with that guy? Is he okay? We had a guy here last week that was kind of like that. That, that. that was the evangelist Keith Mitzler. Go on his website. If you would see him travel around the world, some of these pictures, he's a little bit like that. The guy that he just shared two minutes. We saw a video of, of his ministry. But this John the Baptizer was a man of great passion. He served God with passion. We see his story in Luke chapter 3, John chapter 1, 2, and 3. You look at When Mary, the mother of Jesus, spoke with her cousin Elizabeth, her and her husband Zacharias, he was a priest, and, and when they were expecting, and when these two met, John leaped within his mother's womb. 
God had a plan for John's life before his birth. I hope you hear that this morning. God had a plan for John's life before his birth. What are you saying? I'm saying every chance I get, we value human life. I'm not going to play games with what God has planned. Come on, amen? This couple was old. They were beyond years. They had excuses possibly, but the one thing they had hoped for in life was a child. His passion for God was so great. He lived alone in the desert before he began his public ministry. As I said, he wore camel's hair, clothing. He ate uh, uh, wild honey and locust. He was radical. Who thinks of that? I think I'm going to eat locusts today. Well, you ever thought about that? Who was the first person to eat lobster? Hey, look at that. That looks appetizing. I think I like to eat that thing. No, it doesn't. But it tastes really good. You know, but whoever thought, you know, hey, look at that lobster. Let's eat that thing. Yeah. But he's eating wild honey and locusts. He's wearing camel hair. He comes out of the desert, long hair and a beard. He's not your average Joe. And he knew in order to do what God was calling him to do. So here's some qualities of passion and of leadership. He had to spend time in solitude alone. There's a time in our life where we need to be alone. The Apostle Paul, three and a half years in the desert alone, but he wasn't all alone. Jesus was there with him, and he was getting prepared for the ministry. We see John the Baptist alone. He's meeting with God. And sometimes we have trouble being alone in this day and age. Alone. Alone. Sometimes it's good to be alone. Uh, sometimes. There's times in our life you need to have regular intervals that you get alone. And, and, and you're, you're not having a TV on. You're, you're not that little thing that we carry all the time everywhere we go. Our, 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 our cell phones. You don't have your laptop. You are disconnected, but you are in a place where you're getting connected with God. You're alone. You're alone. And, and uh, Teresa and I and the staff, and we've done these temperament uh, testings and everything. And if it comes out there, it says, I'm outgoing, and, and uh, uh, I, I want to do this, and I want to do that. And I do like being with people. If I go into a room, I'm going to talk to people, and I like getting together. But also there's that part, and it comes out. I'm okay being alone sometime because there comes a point where I just, I want to be alone. I, I want to go off and I want to read and I want to sit and I want to be quiet. And Teresa doesn't even get this. She says, you could eat at a restaurant all by yourself. Yes, I can do that. It's possible. You know, it depends on the restaurant, but I could do that. But sometimes you need to be all alone 
spending time with God. John was consumed with his mission. He was all in. He was committed. He was just wired differently, and part of that is because he got along with God. He heard from God. He had a strong sense of justice. I'm going to tell you, he says, this is right, this is wrong, this is black, this is white, this is acceptable, this is unacceptable. He was dissatisfied with an action. He needed passion to fulfill what God was calling him to do. And if you hear me say this, and I say it to myself, and I say, yes, God, if your vision is it intimidating to you? It's insulting to God. And I like his, really what I'm going to call his life motto, and it should become our motto. We see it in verse 30 of John 3. He, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. The Living Translation, he, Jesus, must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. If you want to do anything worthwhile in life, you want to do anything for the kingdom of God, and it's his kingdom, not your kingdom or my kingdom. If we want to do anything for the kingdom of God, it must be more of Jesus and less of us. More of Jesus and less of you. More of Jesus and less of you. And sometimes if we're not careful, we make it more of us, more of us, my ministry, my calling, my this, my that. It's Jesus. Amen? It's all about Jesus. We have a part. I like that last week, that quotation uh, that I used from the hip-hop rapper Lecrae, you know, uh, quit being a star in your show and play a small part in God's history, amen? In your fantasy, in your fiction, let's play a small part in what God is doing. More of him, less of us, and we'll see great effectiveness in the kingdom of God. If we want to represent Jesus well, if we want to be ambassador for Christ, if we want to be light and positive influence in our culture, if we want to make a difference, if we want to advance the kingdom of God, more of Jesus, less of you. So here's the dangerous question. I want you to ask yourself today, write this down. God, what do you want me to do with my life? That's a dangerous question right there. God, what do you want me to do with my life? I asked that question at 17 years of age. I keep saying little Tia. Little Tia is not so little anymore. I think she turned 24 the other week, married in Haiti. But I see her right here in Imstar Kids Church as a little girl. I see her as a young teenager now ministering in Imstar Kids Church, and she asked herself that question, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And she's in Haiti today. I want to ask you to pray for Tia. Pray for her husband, Clinton. He's Haitian. They've tried and they've tried and they've tried to get visas so he can come and visit. Never been here. Needs to meet family. Needs to meet people. He needs to come and spend a little bit of time here. They keep getting denied, denied, denied. Pray for Tia. How many say, I'm going to pray for Tia this week. Pray for Clinton this week. They, they need prayer, you know, emotional support, spiritual support. We're supporting them. They, they need that uh, financial support. There's a small team going in October, and, and they're going to go down and do some work with them. And, and I don't know if you can still jump on that team or not, but is that question? I want you to ask that question. You can be 45, 55. You don't have to be 18 and 20 to ask that question. But God, what do you want me to do with my life? So 
Here's some passion killers. Because I said, life can suck the life out of you. I'm going to move along. An unbalanced schedule. How many's encountered that before? Come on. That's a passion killer right there. This means if you're either overworked or you're underworked, you're going to lose your passion for Jesus. Because life is a series of seasons. There's a season for everything. Input, output, work, rest. Too much nothing equals boredom. You lose passion. Too much work causes you to lose your passion. Some of you here today need to work less. Some of you here today need to work more. Some of you here today need to just go to work. Even in ministry, if unbalanced, here's this thing that, that's coming up called compassion fatigue. You can get unbalanced in ministry, and I, I understand that, man. I've been, I think, close to that at times. What do you mean, compassion fatigue? I, I, I don't have much going for God. I don't have much going for people right now. I'm just trying to survive right here, and, you know, we can do that. Caring not much for God, not caring much for people, too much service, imbalanced, unbalanced. Others of you need to serve. You need to give out. You're always receiving. Sunday morning, you have podcasts, you have TV, connect groups. You're not serving, you're not helping. You're just taking all the spiritual food in. And some of you are getting larger and larger. Okay, you're just fat spiritually. Yeah. Until pretty soon you're going to roll in here and you're going to roll out of here. And this is where we get the term holy roller, bad joke. <laughs> yeah, Bible study without ministry, without putting what we learn into action is extremely dangerous. And we see uh, James, the brother of Jesus in his book says, faith without works is, faith without works is, oh, you need to hear that. Faith without works is, it's dead. We need to put into practice what we listen to, what we watch, what we read, what we're receiving, an unused talent. You have gifts. You do have talents. You do have abilities. I want you to tell, you know, if there's not somebody sitting next to you, find somebody. Tell somebody you have a talent. You have ability. Come on, tell somebody that. God designed us. God designed us to make contributions with our life. Let me see if I can remember this correctly, but there's a study done, and it says 70% of the people in their job, they're only using 30% of their talents. And so if you're only using 30% of your talents and your gifts and abilities in the position that you're in, I believe your passion level is going to be quite low. You're not going to be too passionate about what you're doing in life. And so you probably need to quit your job. All right? Just don't go and quit your job just like that. Have a transition plan then you quit your job, okay? Make sure you have something else to go to. Quit your job. Some of you really, that, that passion quote, to get involved in a ministry, serve here at Morning Star Fellowship, be fulfilled, use your gifts, unconfessed sins. Boy, that's a passion killer. 
Man, you weren't made to live with guilt and, and shame and, and regret. How many's tried to live with some guilt and shame and regret? Man, that's a passion killer. It's going to take your joy. It's going to take your peace. It's going to take your confidence. That will take your passion. Unresolved conflict. With conflict, all your passion is going to go away. There's too much conflict. Conflict everywhere, at home, at work. It's constant. Be a peacemaker. Be a forgiver. An unsupported lifestyle. Then you can lose some passion because the people you're spending time with, they don't have this passion. They're not going God's way. You're not in fellowship. You're not with people who love Jesus, who serve, who give. I want to say this. If you are single here today and you love Jesus, you're not married, you're single, you love Jesus, it sounds like a no-brainer, but I need to say it. Don't marry someone who doesn't love Jesus. You want a recipe for disaster? Don't marry someone who doesn't love Jesus if you love Jesus. The Bible's don't go into business with somebody who doesn't love Jesus. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked together, and there's a reason for that. If you are in that position right now, live your life in such a way, love the Lord in such a way, and love your spouse in such a way that you know what? Pray for them. They're going to come to love Jesus also. Amen? How many believe that can happen? I've seen it happen. It can happen. It can happen. The Bible says, you know, don't be unequally yoked together. So here's some common sense. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one, because if one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls, and no one has no one to help him up. We are better together. And there's a pattern that plays out for those who begin to lose their passion for Jesus. It is. We become critical. We start to criticize church. We start to criticize sermons and messages and pastor and pastors and other people. Our attendance becomes sporadic. Then we stop coming to church and we say things like, well, I just need a big break and I need to worship by myself and I don't need to serve and I'm not in a good place right now and people don't understand. You know, and the next thing you know, you feel the presence of God is far away. And then an unclear purpose, life Without purpose is meaningless. It becomes a trivial pursuit. Passion and purpose go together. Make it God's purpose. Something bigger than yourself. God's purpose. And then an undernourished spirit. You need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit every day. Say it with me, every day. You do. Come on. Life will suck the life out of you. We leak, don't we? We need the Holy Spirit to fill us every day. We're, we're clay pots. We're earthen vessels. So how to increase your passion? This is quick. And this is what Jesus was saying last week as I looked at Revelation chapter 2. Return to your first love. He says, return to me and I'll return to you. I love you with an everlasting love. When others walk out, I'm going to walk in. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Just love Jesus, and allow him to love you back. Stay in the word of God. Aren't you thankful? Right here. Man, I need wisdom, insight, understanding. I need security. I need peace. I need stability. The word of God, the words of life right 
here. Stay in the word of God. I need confidence. I need power. Associate with people that have passion. How many's found out, man, they're going to bring you up to another level? How many's ever been around negative people? Don't they drag you down? Yeah. Get around some positive, passionate people for Jesus. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Encourage, spur one another on to good things, good works. Come on, we're in this together. We're going together. We're going after God together. Okay, get back up. Let's go, sister. Let's go, brother. We're going to do this together. We're going to have the victory in Jesus' name. Pray every day. Amen? Pray. Say with me, pray. I'm going to tell you, say it this way. Listen and then talk to God. Talk to God and then listen. Let's hear what God wants to download into your heart, into your life. Let's stand together, if you would, this morning. God is calling us to be passionate. Be passionate for him to light up this dark spiritual world. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Try to shine as lights among the people of this world as you hold firmly to the message that gives life. The message of Jesus Christ gives life today. Don't depart from this message. July 21st, just a few days ago, 1969, 50 years ago, Neil Armstrong was the first man to ever, ever walk on the moon. I was almost 11 years old. I was so excited about this. I made a whole collage, a poster on my wall. I had every stage and segment of that. If you're a conspiracist and you think we didn't walk on the moon, what's up with that? I'm going to tell you. We walked on the moon. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. He was part of the Apollo 11 space mission. He stepped out of the spacecraft, the Eagle, and, and he said this. You know what? One small step for man, one giant leap for man. Kind. Passion. People are a lot like the moon. We're like the moon. What do you mean? Are we round? Are we spacey? No. But just as the sun's light reflects into the darkness, just like the sun's light reflects into the darkness when the moon is in just the right place because the moon doesn't have light and it reflects the light of the sun when the moon is in just the right place God's light also reflects into this sin-filled darkness when you and I the church is in just the right place being in the right places we're following Jesus as I said last week we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow him. More of him, less of me. We reflect his light. We're going to reflect his life, his goodness, his power, his kindness into the people around us. I really want you to ask this question. If you can't do it right now, do it this afternoon, do it soon. God, what do you want me to do with my life?
it's a dangerous question because it's going to take you to another level. God, what do you want me to do with my life? If you're part of the prayer team, would you come now and we're going to pray in just a moment. Let's close. Let's sing. of the Lord Jesus in our lives will bring passion, break you out of a dullness, a routine, a boredom. That's the power of the name of Jesus to bring you life. Last week I asked this, what 
Or who do you need to walk away from so you can follow Jesus? Some things in your life, some people in your life. What's it going to take for you to live the life that God has for you? So I want to give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you haven't asked Christ into your life, you're not on this great journey of becoming like him and the life that he has for you. You know, every day is the most fun. It's not Disney World. I'm going to tell you that right now. But he's with us. And it's a wonderful, wonderful life of knowing him and the adventure that he has for you, of living for something greater than yourself that will outlast this life. If you haven't asked Christ into your life this morning, raise your hand with me right now and say, I want Jesus. I want to accept him. I want him to forgive my sins. I want a, a start over a brand new life. I, I want what he has in store for me and planned for me. Raise your hand with me right now. We want to pray with you, just like we do like every Sunday. Every Sunday we do this, almost every Sunday, two or three or four, except Jesus Christ. So we're asking here today. Amen. I don't see any hands. Sometimes people help and point, so I don't see any hands this morning. But how many want to live a life of passion today? Come on, how many want to live a life of passion? I'm I'm done with same old, same old routines, dullness and boredom. I want the adventure that God has for me. God, what do you want me to do with my life? How many are ready to pray that dangerous prayer? You may have been saved for five years, 20 years. God, what do you want us to do? Take us individually and corporately. May we make an impact in the spiritual darkness around you. You and us, passion and us, will bring your life to those who need your life. Jesus, may we be in the right position to reflect you, follow you in Jesus' name. This week, opportunities. This week, open doors. This week, influencers, difference makers. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.